from WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, Jr., it was a wild week at the state capitol as Governor Walker scrambled to get a court to overturn a Dane County judge's order that he call special elections to fill two vacant seats. He appealed to a second Dane County judge for a delay. That judge said no. Then Walker asked a Wisconsin appeals court judge to issue a delay. That judge also turned him down. Then it looked like Walker's next move was to appeal to the Wisconsin Supreme Court But in the end, he decided not to get the high court involved, so he scheduled the elections. Why was it so important for Walker to get this order overturned? Um, What was at stake for him? Well, the governor's been arguing that it makes no sense to have special elections for seats that, you know, would be filled after legislature is adjourned. I mean, they're basically done for the year. I don't expect lawmakers back anytime soon. Now, they could always come back in a special extraordinary session, but they're not expected back anytime soon, uh, especially at a November election. So you could argue that there's nothing for him to really do. The problem is for Walker, well, several things. One, um, the law is not on his side. And that was clear from these cases that went between for two Dane County judges in the Second District Court of Appeals in Waukesha. I mean, Republicans at first tried to dismiss this, oh, this is you know, liberal activist judges who are doing this when it's a Dane County case, but the second district has a reputation as being conservative, and that court shot this down as well. So that suggests that they were wrong on the law. And two, um, one of the problems for Walker is this is a self-inflicted wound. I mean, talking to people last week around the Capitol, they argued that Scott Walker could have waited until March, for example, to appoint Frank Lassay and Keith Ripp's administration. Remember, these vacancies were created in late December when those two Republican lawmakers left the legislature to join Walker's administration. Now, at the time, Walker said, hey, these seats can't be filled until they're basically going to be done, so we're not going to call them. But if they had just waited until March, this would probably be a moot issue. Now, they're going to have these special elections in June, and there's another opportunity for Democrats to chalk up a special election win and keep building a, a case of a blue wave coming toward Wisconsin come November. Critics said Walker didn't want to call the special elections because he's afraid that a Democrat may capture at least one of the seats. It has been a trend across the country, and it did happen here in Wisconsin when Democrat Patty Schachner this winter won the seat that Republican State Senator Sheila Harsdorf of River Falls um, had held for so long. So is Walker afraid that a Democrat may capture one of these seats? Uh, maybe now, but remember the seats went vacant, came, became vacant December 29th. Patty Schockner won her seat in mid-January. So when Walker initially declined to call special elections, we hadn't seen her win by 10 points, a seat Donald Trump won by 17 just two years ago. So we hadn't really seen that phenomenon yet. So I don't know if that was the original piece of it for Scott Walker, but obviously now Republicans are kind of uh, fearful of this opportunity for Democrats to continue what we've been seeing across the country of these special election wins. If that happens, then it gives Dems more of a talking point about what this November will be like to encourage donors to get involved, to make a pitch to people that, hey, you should be watching what we're going to do because we've got a good shot here. And it will make life more difficult for Republicans or the, the view more pessimistic of GOP chances come November. So it's all part of the dynamic right now.
Another development related to this case, while Governor Walker was scrambling, a state Senate committee was holding a public hearing on a bill that would have changed the law regarding special elections in Wisconsin in an attempt to nullify the judge's order. The full legislature was set to come back in an extraordinary session this week and vote on the bill. But once Walker complied and called the special elections, legislative leaders canceled the session. Why did they decide to cancel if they were going to write language into the bill that would indicate the judge's order could be superseded? Probably because they realized that the optics weren't very good for them. Um, when you look across the country right now and the discontent that we see with voters on both sides, it, the word rigged comes up a lot, right? You hear people from both sides out talk about things being rigged, the economy, politics, etc. If you're Republicans and you're in power and you are passing a bill to undercut a judicial order to have special elections and vacant seats, that's going to add fuel to Democrats and liberals to say, look, these guys are trying to rig things against us. Um, I got the impression that there were concerns from Republican lawmakers about taking up this bill with the court orders they'd seen. And once the second district stepped in and said this was, you know, the law basically wasn't on the side of what the Walker administration was arguing. I get the impression that, that those fears really turn into, this is not a good idea, we should just drop this and go ahead. Because once Walker issued the order to have special elections, then you're talking about these guys doing a, bill, a law to undercut an order for special elections and nullify those. That could have been a problem for some of these guys come November. So that's one of the reasons why I think why the Walker administration had asked a Dane County judge for basically an eight-day delay on having to issue the special election call because that would have given time for lawmakers to pass the bill before the call was issued. Once that order was put out there, I think it made it more difficult politically to do that bill. Do you think we've seen the last of this bill, though? Might it come back next year in, in some form? Oh, there are definitely concerns among Republicans about the special election process, about when they need to be called, about the four-week window between a primary and a general election, uh, one of the concerns that was raised is about overseas and military voters, especially military voters, that the four weeks is not enough for them to get their ballots and return them. Uh, now, somebody from the Elections Commission testified that, in fact, you could do that in about 14 days. There, according to him, there's plenty of time. But there are things about how special elections work that they didn't think to change because, remember, we used to have a primary in September in Wisconsin. They moved that up to April, and all these dates kind of changed, and they didn't just adjust the special election law. To reflect some of that. So you might see some of these ideas come back. Uh, just kind of a question of what form. Will there be a deadline of when you can call special elections from now on? In um, this bill, when we saw any vacancy happening, I think like by early December of an even-numbered year, or odd-numbered year, I'm sorry, wouldn't be filled in the following even-numbered year because there'll be election that November. So is that the deadline they're going to use, or is that just because they wanted they picked that date to try and undercut these couple of special elections. So we'll see, but the idea might definitely come back, yes. Okay, moving on to another big event this week, the spring elections. On the ballot tomorrow is a referendum that would eliminate the constitutional office of the state treasurer. As is procedure, the bill passed two consecutive sessions of the legislature before it could be placed on the ballot. During those legislative sessions, what were the arguments for and against eliminating this office? Uh, the reason that limit argument to eliminate was basically was it's been stripped of all its powers and there's no need for it anymore. I mean, it really is a shell of what it used to be. Uh, governors on both sides of the aisle have kind of pulled powers away from some of these officers. The 
Treasurer and Secretary of State over the years, and they've lost much of what they used to do. So the argument was there's nothing left for it to do, so why have it? The argument to keep it was from Democrats is that this is an independent office that can be a watchdog of the uh, administration. Um, now, I'm not sure what powers they have right now that really makes them that because they don't have much left. The question kind of is, if it does survive this vote on Tuesday, what would lawmakers do? Would they restore some powers? They just kind of keep ignoring it. What might happen with that office? So it's something to kind of watch. But, you know, they're, the group trying to preserve the office, I think, put up like 85000 bucks on TV in a, a spot, something like that. It's not a very high-profile issue. We're seeing some social media chatter about it. But it's not like this is like a driving issue right now to get people polls on Tuesday. And finally, the other big thing on the ballot tomorrow, obviously, is state Supreme Court between Saw County Judge Michael Skrenick, who is backed by the NRA, and Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Rebecca Dallet, who is supported by a group led by former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder. The ads for both candidates were relentless. Special interest groups spent a lot of money on behalf of both candidates, and it got ugly. How does this race compare to past Supreme Court uh, contests in terms of ugliness and money spent? Was this a record breaker? Uh, in terms of money spent, we won't know for a while to get a final tally, but I'm pretty sure we've seen more expensive ones. What's unique about this one is the environment which is being run. I mean, we're used to April elections, the, the turnout needs for Wisconsin generally being older and whiter than in you know, November election. Uh, and that has tended to favor conservatives. Conservative candidates for Supreme Court have won most of the races in the last dozen years or so, which is why we have a 5-2 majority, part of the reason why we have a 5-2 majority in the Supreme Court for conservatives. But this environment is different. We have Democrats with the enthusiasm on their side. The question is, does that enthusiasm translate into a Supreme Court race? It's not seen as a partisan race, even though we kind of know the partisan leanings of both candidates. So what will happen with that? We saw some TV ads. It was kind of interesting. The TV buys were a little bit late this year compared to 2016. Um, how much that burned in, I'm not sure. But the state GOP is planning to put about $400,000 into Skrennick's campaign through mail, digital ads, staff trying to help him get elected. The state Democratic Party is not making the same kind of in-kind contributions to Dallas, but it is trying to turn out voters for Tuesday, which would help her. Um, again, what's that electric look like come Tuesday? What's the environment like? We've got all these things going on nationally um, the March for Life, all those kinds of things. Will that impact things? Will that get people activated and awake? Um, it's really kind of an interesting study about how do those, nat- those national influences play in this Supreme Court race. Don't forget, uh, like Vice President Joe Biden endorsed Rebecca Dalla. I don't remember the last time a former Vice President of the United States endorsed in a Wisconsin Supreme Court race. It's just a really different kind of race than what we've seen before. But the ads were late and they're heavy, and we'll see if it moves people in the final days. All right. Thanks for joining us, JR. Anytime. That's WizPolitics.com editor JR Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>